Hey, welcome to the Communities Podcast. We greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, whom we adore, of course. We pray this word will richly bless you and speak to your heart. Enjoy. Matthew chapter number 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him. This is Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? Often, but your disciples do not fast. I like how it's put in there, often. And then Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilt, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Amen. Father, bless the hearing of your word and bring revelation by your Holy Spirit. Illuminate our minds so that we, our understanding would go open this morning in Jesus' name. The title of my sermon this morning is Why Fast? Or if you will, there is a wedding happening. It is interesting the terminology that is used here. When a person asks the question, why fast? Why would the Holy Spirit allow us or, or put a conviction upon us to go and fast? Why would the Holy Spirit lead us into the direction of fasting? Why should you fast or why should you not fast? Is interesting questions. Fasting is, is seen in different circles and means different things for different people, depending on what kind of background you come from. Some people think that if they fast television, then they have fasted before the Lord. I would say this to you, go as the Lord leads you into what type of fast he requires from you and ask him what he requires of you. Because when you fast, it is to the Lord. And it is also between you and God. It is not between any man. It is, you don't have to check in with any person, but it's very interesting here. This terminology that is used, the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, come up to Jesus asking him this question. It's very interesting because John the Baptist, if you recall was the one who pointed Jesus out to say, behold, here comes the lamb that takes away the sin. You would think that that would empty out your congregation, your church. You would think that your ministry would end right there once you have pointed to someone else. And the question would be, why would John still have disciples after John the Baptist himself, the immerser, calls out Jesus to say, here, here's the lamb of God. And so you find that the disciples of John come up to him and say, why do we fast? And why do the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus uses an interesting terminology that is not often used in the Bible. It is, you'll find it a few times in the book of Isaiah, and you'll find it a few times in the book of Jeremiah, and then once in the book of Joel. But he uses this terminology, bridegroom. And I love the way that Jesus answers in the Gospels. I think Jesus is so cool. But, you know, he's, he's so excuse the terminology, but unless you grew up the way I grew up, you would understand what I mean, but he's so gangster. He's so player. He's so like, when somebody comes up to him and asks him a question, he answers with another question. When he comes up to, when somebody asks him and addresses something with him, Jesus is, is kind of, he like, doesn't even talk on the topic. He goes on something else. He, he, and, and we know that in the Jewish customs that when you, when you ask, ask a question and someone answers by asking another question, what they're saying to you is your thinking is over here. Your thinking needs to be over here. Your thinking needs to be higher because it's almost to say that I've already answered your question, but now answer my question. 
And so it's very interesting. We know that the Old Testament, uh, or sometimes referred to as the First Testament, is really uh, the New Testament, rather, is a a fulfilling or of the Old Testament, the Second Testament. It is, it is the New Testament is sometimes as seen as the the revelation that is in the New existed in the Old. It is by the Spirit of God that they have brought out. If you want to understand the Word of God as a Gentile, as a as a person who did not grow up in a Jewish custom or a Jewish household, you would just need to read the gospels because he is the word amen he is the word of god and so to understand the word is to understand him don't worry about what the book of leviticus or deuteronomy says i'm not saying don't read it of course you've got to read it but you've got to read it through the lens that is jesus you've got to read, read it through the blood of the true lamb of god is jesus and so in the old testament we have a lot of types and shadows types and shadows means that there are that it is it is almost like god is setting something up in the Old Testament to say, this is what's going to happen in the New Testament. So we know that Isaac is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. So here, and there's something for you to remember, but here Jesus uses this terminology, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn? Now, as the bride of Christ, as the church, you have the friends of the bridegroom. And it reminds me of my own wedding. I organized my own wedding. Uh, I, I organized everything, not because Ilana kept saying no, and I was forcing her to marry me, but it was simply because that's the type of nature of person that I am. I jumped in and I organized. The only thing I didn't organize was her hairdresser and her dress. But I organized majority of the actual wedding because I believe that is sort of also part of what a man does. My brother did the flowers. He did an amazing job. The lady was brilliant. I, I organized the DJ. He was kind of, you know, you know, he was mediocre. He wasn't that good. Um, but the wedding was beautiful. There was a lot of peace. It was the Lord was there. It was awesome. There was a lot of great people there. And then there was, you know, obviously some family, but then there, there was, uh, I almost said something else and then Cara would be get a phone call from Cara and be like, what did you say? Uh, but the wedding was great. And it was, it was the best party that I've ever had. And a lot of times I think that's how God is with us that when he marries us, that he brings us into this wedding, that he organizes everything. We see that in the Old Testament, Isaac, who is a type and shadow of Jesus, that Abraham's servant is sent, who is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. Abraham is the type and shadow of God the Father. And here Abraham says to his servant, put your hand on my bosom and then make a promise. I have a picture in my mind that imagine if I, if I had to take my hand and put it in, and, and took Warren's hand and said, put it in my bosom and make me a promise. I can just imagine how awkward that moment would be. Warren would be like, just close your eyes. And start praying and be like, what is Nicholas doing? <laughs> but there's this weird picture that takes a place and the servant goes out and he, he goes to the land of Abraham where Abraham comes from and he gets his wife, Rebecca, for, for, for Isaac. And, and uh, she fills up the camels and she does all things over there, which is also very important. But, but as she's brought back, so the servant goes with some camels and some gifts to the family because that's what they did in the time when they went and asked the bride or the bride's father or the man that was over the bride, the potential bride, they would come with gifts and they would bless as a sign to say that we can take care. We can take care of, of her. And, and this is a sign of our wealth and what we have and that we want to give to you. And so here you've got Isaac's uh, Abraham's servant who goes out, fetches Rebecca and she comes out. And before she even reaches Abraham, Isaac sees her in the field and she sees it's Isaac and she covers herself because she's obviously told that this is 
This is going to be your husband. This is the story. And Isaac goes and meets her in the field and then presents it to the father. There's a day of rapture that takes place. We are as the church taken into the air. Jesus, the type of shadow of Isaac meets us in the field. He meets us in the air. He meets us in the field. He meets us in the place that we sow seed, that we plant things, that we work in. He meets us and then he presents us to his father. So there's a type and shadow that takes place throughout the word. Isn't God amazing in terms of how he calculates these things? But it's interesting how... Abraham's servant brings gifts. The Holy Spirit is, brings us gifts for the body of Christ. He brings us gifts. And it's interesting that Jesus uses this terminology. Can the friends of the bridegroom fast? Can they fast when the bridegroom is with them? We're back at Matthew 9. In the text you read, it kind of gives a sort of a definition of what fasting really is. And for you who want to know more about fasting, you can make notes for yourself, Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, I love how Isaiah 58, God says this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, is this a fast that I appointed? Is this the day that I appointed for you to afflict your own soul? Because that's what happens when we fast. When we fast, it feels like you're going to die. You get headaches, you start seeing things, and it's not angels or demons. You just feel like you're seeing spots all over the place. It's all dramatic. And, and you feel like life is being sucked out of you. You feel like you're going to die. You feel like a weakling. You look at a homeless person on the street and say, how is it possible that you haven't eaten for a week because it's 10 o'clock and I'm struggling on my first day of the fast? And uh, reading this text... Jesus gives us a perspective of what fasting really is because he says that when the friends of the bridegroom are with him, can they really fast? Because fasting is really seeking, if you will. Fasting is really when I'm far from God or when it feels like I'm far from God, does it maybe the Holy Spirit prompting me to look for him? And God was, came to Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. It asks, you have to ask the question, where was he in the morning when he was there in the cool of the afternoon? We have a God that constantly moves, but he's the same. We have a God that is omnipresent, but he is in a place where he's calling you to come to. The mystery of following the Lord. And so fasting is really something that by reading this text, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that, if you're fasting, how can they fast? How can they be in a place for looking for someone where that someone is amongst them? And I'm reminded of the scripture where Jesus says, the principles of the kingdom is keep seeking, keep knocking, and the door shall go open for you. You see, fasting is not really just about getting stuff, but it's really about getting someone. It's not about getting something. It's about getting to someone. And when I fast and I separate myself, I'm saying I am looking for someone that is no longer sitting amongst us because Jesus makes this interesting statement. He says, and there will come a day when he, the, the bride groom was taken away from them and then they will fast. It's, it's, it almost comes across if it's a commandment or an instruction, but it's not. It, it's, it's a understanding what my presence does for the person that he will miss me when I'm not there. And then all of a sudden, he will say, I need to find him because my life is not the same without him. Come on, somebody. 
I need Jesus in my house. I need Jesus in my temple. I need Jesus with me. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit desperate. I need God every single day. The whole, for the last year and a half, my prayer has been, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. I miss you. Come back to me. Don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. Father, Lord Jesus, where art thou? Where are they? Where are you? What are you doing? Where are you? I want to be where you are. I don't want to be in a place that you're not. And so fasting is almost as if Jesus is saying, there will come a day when the disciples will realize that I'm no longer with them and they will miss me. And when they miss me, they will fast because they will know how to find me. And then Jesus goes and says, no one puts a piece of unshunk cloth. Like really, Jesus, what has that got to do with fasting? Come on now. None of us are sewers here in the sense that none of us are seamstresses or I don't know what a male seamstress would be, but no one of us is sitting here working between no machine and putting in the things. No one's sitting here being, no one did home economics where they're sitting there. These are disciples. These were men. These were boys. They were taught the trade of their fathers. They weren't tailors. What is he talking about? What is an unshrunk cloth on an old garment? got to do with with a new one and then he goes and says wineskins now i know for some of you that like the bar you you kind of like that speaks to me hallelujah thank you jesus that you're talking about wine because god's into the good stuff yeah and he talks about that and in the greek the unshrunk cloth really means new cloth when it says no one puts a, a unshrunk cloth in the greek it actually means new cloth onto an old garment no one takes new wine and puts it into wineskins and old wineskins, which kind of begs to ask the question, what has that got to do with fasting? Because fasting is not really so much about getting a breakthrough as what it is about getting yourself prepared because it's the vessel that's the issue. Why God hasn't given you new wine. Some of you are sitting in churches and you're going, there's something wrong with my preacher because I'm not getting new wine. But the problem isn't the preacher. The problem is the vessel that the message is coming to. Because unless you stay the same, God can't take you to a new place. God can't give you new anointing if you want to be the same old, same old. If you don't deal with these small foxes that spoil the vine. The vineyard is where we get the wine from. And if you don't deal with those small foxes that hinder you, you will, and you stay the same, how do you expect God to give you new wine? Because we have a problem with the preacher. Maybe there's something wrong with the preacher that the wine isn't coming through. Yes, sometimes there is something wrong with the preacher. And some preachers are just old and they just need to go in retirement. God bless you. Thank you for your service. And in the army, but it's time for you to step aside for the new leadership to come through. Yes, maybe that's the case, but sometimes it's the wineskin that's the problem that can't handle the new wine. And so therefore God withholds the good stuff because I want you to change. You remember John chapter number two, when Jesus was at the wedding and then Mary, the mother of Jesus, this is also in just another cool scene of Jesus. This is just another scene that I thought was very, you know, if I talk like that to my mother, I'll get a slap. But when, when his mother comes up to Jesus and says to him, we have no wine. And he's like, what kind, what's that got to do with me? Like, and what are you telling me for women? That's what the scripture says. <laughs> And she doesn't say nothing to him. This is a relationship a mother has with a son. She just looks to her servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she walks out. Now, if there's anything like my mother, I could just picture that whole scene about throwing, you know, 
throwing some shade, so to speak. I think they got it right. That's how the kids say it today. So throw some shade. You know, it's like, don't talk to me, boy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and she just turns to her servants and says, whatever. And then Jesus says this. He says to the servants, go fetch me six waters, six claws, six, six jars of clay of water. Six, the number of flesh. Six, the number of your effort. Six, the number of man. The best that you could do without me is just water. You see, water is symbolic to the word of God. And so the devil could quote Genesis to Revelation, but his water, it's not yet wine. Because you still need the seventh man, the spiritual man, to bring the, the revelation of who God is onto that water for it to turn into something of substance, something of wine. And so God wants to bring us new wine, but he can't put new wine into old wineskins because they'll just burst open because there's much that I have to say to you, but you're unable to bear it because you refuse to change. You stay the same. And so God says to us that fasting is really about the vessel, not really about the content, because the content comes from him. Your best effort is going to bring him water, but you still need Jesus to make it wine. Come on, am I speaking to somebody? Because you've been asking for new revelation from heaven. We've been asking as a church, God, why have you been silent? We've gone through COVID. We cried out and we said, Lord, don't you care about us? We're perishing. I remember a story in the gospel of Luke, the disciples asking the same thing when Jesus was sleeping, when you were in the middle of a storm, you're lying in hospital and you're saying, God, do you even care about me? And then Jesus wakes up and he goes, he walks out, rebukes the storm, turns to his disciples and says, oh, you of little faith. And then goes back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. He goes back into a place of resting because he knew that his time had not yet come. When you are in Christ Jesus and you understand your mission, you understand your calling, you understand your purpose, you understand it's not yet your time. You might want to die. You might want to get a divorce. You might want to leave those crazy kids of yours and go somewhere else. You might want to jump the fence. You might want to move over to Canada where they're burning down churches. You might want to move to a different country. You might want to run away from the problem. You might want to run away, but if you're in Christ, you understand it's not your time. And when it's not your time, you can rest, baby. Because God's got this. And when the storm gets too hectic, he just stands up and rebukes it in the name of Jesus. Just like that. And as a church, we're crying out and saying, God, why are you so quiet? And God's not about, it's not because he's not got nothing to say. It's he's got something new to do in the earth. But he's looking for new wineskins to put the new wine in because he's bringing something new. But he can only do it when the vessels are ready. Come on. Then he says, will you, put, will you put a new piece of cloth, a new, and I always love this picture of my wife when I saw her walking through the aisle. And I've got this one picture, one of my favorite wedding pictures is she's walking and she's stepping in. And I know my wife as well. And she told me afterwards about how she, she told the bridesmaids, get up and get in. I've got to marry a man. <laughs> and, uh, and, she was, and she was getting up. And one of my favorite pictures is as she's coming into the chapel and she's almost, she's got this face looking down because she's stepping in and she's got this beautiful white dress. God is ready for a bride with a beautiful white dress. How do you want me to give you a new dress when you're still wearing the old one? Oh, fabat. <laughs> Oh, banda, shit, terror, that, oh, renda. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you still speak to the church. I'm reminded of the prophet in the Old Testament where he's standing, Joshua is standing, and there is an accuser that accuses him. And then there's the angel of the Lord, Christ, who says, who are you to condemn the elect? He removes the old cloth. He removes the old dress. He removes that, no, baby, you're too poor to marry me. That's okay because my daddy is a rich man and he's going to give you a new dress. And so he removes that cloth and he puts a new cloth on him. He needs a new mantle on him. He puts a new, a new mantle on him. He he puts a new turbine on him. He puts something new on him. How can I put an, uh, an old, how can I put a new piece of cloth in an old piece of cloth? It'll rip apart. Why is it that Jesus, your disciples don't fast? It's because I'm still with them. It's in the seasons that you hear the voice of God that you don't necessarily need to fast. But when God has stopped speaking, when it feels like God is not there, ask yourself, do I need to put a new dress on? Do I need to be a new vessel so that I may contain and position myself to receive new wine? You see, I have this picture years ago where I, I saw God almost like, not Santa Claus, I don't want to go down that road. But he was like that, a picture that was like that, not, you know, white hair, white beard, little guy that's a little bit, you know. It's in the name, St. Nicholas. It's in the name to be blessed, you know? So and not that he was chubby or anything, but, but I saw God sitting up in heaven ready to give us new things, but he couldn't give it to us because no one was looking because it's like throwing a ball to someone that you know isn't looking at you. They're never going to catch it. You're never going to catch anything if you're not facing God. You're not going to catch anything if you're not looking up. You're not going to catch anything if God has new wine to be poured out in this time, but you still remain as an old wineskin. Because it's not that God has forsaken the church. It's not that God has forsaken you in the midst of your trouble. Sometimes God sits down and keeps quiet so that he can see what you can do because you are in him. And when you speak, you speak as for him. You don't need God to come down to deal with COVID. You can deal with COVID because you have the authority to speak. And if you don't sit down, move out of the way and get someone else to, that has authority to step up and speak. Get yourself ready so that you may be positioned in him so that you may speak as him because you are the voice of God in the earth. Because God speaks through his church. It is always interesting to me that God always limits himself. He is a limitless God, yet limits himself to his word. And if he limits himself to his word, what do you think it says of his word? Your understanding to his word may be limited, but he is not limited. Neither is his word limited because his word can forever progress and do things. His word can speak things into existence as if it's, if it's, if it is, as if it was not, or if it was not, if it is, is he can wipe you out and he can create new things. So many times God has rebuked and says, I will cause, if, if you try and tell my disciples to keep quiet, I'll cause these stones to come alive so that they may praise the Lord. John the Baptist said, don't say that we are sons of Abraham, therefore God will save us. God is able to, to, to raise himself up sons from these stones. God is able to do anything and his word is able to do anything and his word in you is able to do anything that he has commissioned the word to do. But he's ready to give you a new word, but you remain the same because you have not yet changed. You still have that old wineskin. You're still that old wineskin. And I'm reminded of Isaac. And he meets his bride. 
and Jesus uses this terminology, bridegroom. It's almost to say that salvation with him is like a big fat wedding. It's, it's, it's to say that I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15, that there will come a day where you will receive a glorious body with somewhere where sickness cannot penetrate, viruses cannot lay dormant, where things cannot withhold you or restrict you. You will not be restricted by time, nor space, nor matter. I'm reminded of the new wineskin that God's going to give to you. It's almost like God is continuously getting ready to give us new wine. And every stage of your life is an upgrade. It's not a downgrade. It's a glory to get older. It's not a burden. And you're not a burden to anybody else. It's a glory to increase in years. It's not a, it's not, it's a glory. It's not something that you should look down upon because with God there's always from glory to glory to glory in the state that you're in is a glory to the state that God is getting ready to move you into is a glory where God's getting ready to take you is another glory. Amen. Do I have a witness? Does somebody agree with me? Come on, write it up in the chat. Say amen. Somebody reach out to me. Don't leave me alone here. Speak to me. Is this message speaking to you? God is saying to you this morning, I'm getting ready to put new wine down and I'm looking for a new vessel to put it in. And so he's calling you to a place of fasting because the fasting changes you. I chatted yesterday to friends of mine and I when we touched on fasting and he didn't know that I was going to preach on this. So I was like, yeah, he's in the spirit. It's a good thing. I tested you. You passed. Well done. But it was interesting how every time I fast, there, my temper like decreases. Maybe I'm alone here. But I don't, I don't have any patience. I thought I was the most patient man until I got married. I had to wait on a woman. And then a child came, and then I was like, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> I thought I was okay in this area. I found out I was not. I need grace. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> help me, Jesus. And then I found out I have a short temper as well because every time I fast, I get, I get, Ugh. and it's almost as if God brings things to the surface to say, this is what I need you to deal with, things that you never saw before. That's what the fast does for me. It's getting me ready to prepare me into a new wineskin. And I'm thinking about Isaac. And I think about the servant of God, the servant of Abraham that is sent out as a type of shadow of the Holy Spirit. And he brings gifts. He brings gold rings. He brings gold bracelets. He brings crowns. He brings necklaces. Hello, gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to the church that he's getting ready to marry. Don't, don't push the gifts away, but embrace the gifts because the gifts are from your father because he's, he's, purchasing you so to speak he's he's putting out there to say look what i can do for you to take care of you i'm going to give you gifts don't 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 rebuke prophecy don't rebuke working in miracles and supernatural things yes sometimes god uses eccentric people and you know god doesn't always change your personality but he changes your character and so you might be crazy before you came to Jesus. And sometimes God only uses crazy people because that's the wine skin that the new wine is poured into because that's the only vessel that can carry the wine that God wants to bring. But going back to the bridegroom, how God gets ready for this big marriage. There's this massive table waiting for you in heaven. And when the bride is ready, God takes you. And when the bride is ready, he fetches his church. And when the bride is ready, he brings you to a table and he brings you to a place where he's celebrating with you, where he's with you, where you will never have to fast because he's with you. Amen.
God is with you and he is for you. And this morning, as we get ready to close, I want to encourage you with this. If you are not hearing the voice of the Lord, if you're not hearing God speak, I want you to ask yourself the question, ask the Holy Spirit, maybe it's a place that I need to fast as I'm waiting for my wife to return. Baba My wife's looking at me as if I'm speaking about someone else. As I'm waiting for my wife to return, as we close off the service, that God would bless you, that God would be with you, that God's goodness be over, over you, and that God would prepare you as a wineskin ready to receive new wine.